So this weekend, I was thinking, wow, it's Father's Day. Last month, we didn't talk about it much, but it was Mother's Day. And fathering and mothering are the foundation of our society. I mean, if we're going to be healthy as a country, our families have to be healthy. And so we start out with Genesis 1.27, where God created us, humankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And so we're created in God's image. And what does he do after he creates us? He parents us. He says, this is the way to go. Do this. Okay. And so we see that that is the model. And what we're going to be talking about is God the Father, our model for parenting. And uh, so in verse 28, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first thing God said to, the peop to, to his people the people he created. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he says, I've given you authority. I've given you authority over the animals and the birds and so on. Now, this is really important because God has an order of how he does things and he, how he wants things done. And so he's explaining, no, the animals aren't over you. You're over the animals. You're not over your creator. I, God is over you, people. And, and, and I've made woman to bear children. And so that is one of the jobs that I've given to women, to bear children. And... As a father, he gives us choices. You wouldn't like it if you didn't have a choice, if your parents said, there are no choices here. And our father is like that in, too. He gives us a choice to be obedient or rebellious. And uh, we get blessings when we're obedient, and we get punishment when... We don't listen. So there are different roles for men and women to play. Some of the roles are similar. Some of the roles, as I say, are different. But when they get married, God uses this beautiful Hebrew phrase. He says they are now besa echad, which is one flesh. Echad being the same Hebrew word that is used in Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about God being echad. The plural nature of uh, the, echad is a plurality. And so we see God is echad, and he is asking, in, well, no, he's not asking. He's, he's saying, this is the way it is. You guys got married. You are now Bisa Echad, one flesh. So 
let's examine some of the things that God says and figure out how to parent better and, and what our roles are. Before I do that, let me just mention, you know, my focus is a little bit on Father's Day. And I would like to just say straight out that I believe, in my opinion, this is not a fact, this is an opinion, so don't quote me and say, he said this, but I believe the greatest problem, other than the fact that people don't know the Lord, but other than that, the greatest problem in our society, in our country in particular, is the degradation of men. And unfortunately, not only has society done it, but I believe men have done it to themselves following the way of society. And here are some statistics. 72 million fathers in the United States, 33% of all children, roughly 24 million, live in a home without their birth father. In 1960, 9% of the children were living with a single parent. In 2012, that has gone up to, went up to 20.7. And right now, the percentage of children with a, without a father in the home is up to 43%. Crime is greater in fatherless homes. 90% of the runaway are homeless, are, are, uh, are children who don't have a father in the home. Rapists, it was interesting with this statistic, it said rapist with rage, as opposed to without rage, I don't get that. But with rage, 80% come from a fatherless home. 70% of minors in state facilities are from fatherless homes. 39% of all inmates in jails are from fatherless homes. Education, 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. Economically, you're four times more likely to be in poverty if you come from a fatherless home. So one of the difficulties in our society and in our country is that there's a new stereotype, well, it's not so new anymore, but it's a stereotype of fathers. We see it in TV, we see it in movies, we see it all over the place, kind of the bumbling person who doesn't know what they're doing. And I really believe that besides losing respect in society, men have lost respect in their homes. They have low expectations of themselves. They're not motivated. They're scared. And fatherhood is less important now than ever before. So the first thing I would say is that we've got to be thankful for every father that's at home. Uh, that's, that's really a blessing, and, and let's count our blessings. It's really important to focus on that. 
But we must empower fathers. We must empower mothers. We must empower families. But, you know, we, we have to understand that there, even in families, there is supposed to be a certain order that God is asking for. I know in my life, my father impacted me more than anybody else that I've ever known. And I can't even imagine what my life would have been like if I were only raised by my mom. And I know that he was responsible for many of my habits and my characteristics. And I just think that when people come from fatherless homes, they have to work so much harder to really, they have to work harder to understand who God the Father is. They have to work harder to really have a sense of wholeness and know who they are. So in John 3, which is part of our parsha um, in the New Covenant, we get tremendous insight from scriptures we know backwards and forwards. We know these scriptures so well. And this is not just for men, but this is for all of us, but really focusing on men. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The first thing we have to learn about God's love that we have to understand in our innermost being is that it's sacrificial. There, there are so many uses for the word love. Hey, I love to go to the store. I love to, you know, eat ice cream. Um, that's true, isn't it? Yes. That could be a love, actually. Um, but, but that's not sacrificial, by the way. It's sacrificial when I don't eat the ice cream. That's sacrificial, and that's not love either, probably. Okay. The idea that God wants us to love sacrificially, this, isn't, this doesn't mean perform a sacrificial act. It means that our day is sacrificial, that our week is sacrificial, that our month, our year, and our life is sacrificial. Sacrificial means all the time. In this case, our love, and that's how we can give out and not receive things in return, because we're sacrificial. And I would say this, depending on how strong you think you are, that's how sacrificial you can be. You have to be strong. Consider how strong our Father in heaven is. Consider how strong Yeshua is that he allowed himself to be sacrificed. Sacrifice requires great strength great emotional strength. And so, it's so clear to me that we have to have an amazing relationship with God 
in order to learn how to love sacrificially. Because we need that strength. Sacrifice looks different to different people. So, for instance, my father sacrificed a lot of the time with his family in order so that we could have financial security. That was my dad's thing. However, another father might sacrifice the amount of money he can make in order to be with his family. And that's sacrificial love. Both are sacrificial love. They just look different. And then there's my kind of sacrificial love. Hey, Patricia. Um, which is where I listen to my wife. I find that sacrificial love. What she does is she balances me out. She tells me when I'm working too much. She doesn't tell me when I'm working too little. That's not, but she balances me out. Let's put it like that. Though last night when we had a discussion about this message, she, we always, I don't know if this happens to you too, but we always seem to remember situations differently. So I gave this great example about how I was in business for myself and I was working like a zillion hours a day. And this is what I remember Pat telling me, you've got to stop working these hours, otherwise your daughter won't know you. What she remembers is that I've got to stop yelling at her. And I'm going, really? Did I yell at you? Oh, don't answer. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but what I'm saying to you is, though, that there, sacrificial love comes in a lot of different ways. And so we don't want to pigeonhole it, but we want to be sacrificial in our love. I can tell you one thing for sure, that if you love sacrificially, it will not go unnoticed. If, as an example, if you do a, a job, let's say, uh, I don't know, you, you put together this, this lectern or, or something like that, that's very sweet, but that's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is ongoing, and it will be recognized by others. It will be recognized by others. It's the very thing that we base our faith on is our Father's sacrificial love. And it's the very thing that our family and our society is based on, the sacrificial love of our physical fathers. And so this is a crucial, crucial thing that we, if we want to see our country changed, we have to see our fathers and our men step up to, plate, to the plate. They, they have to become more active in every area of society they have to lead. That's what God's called them to do. John 3.17, God did not send this, the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I believe very strongly that God 
looking at our behavior could condemn any one of us. But through his love and through his grace and through his mercy, he offers us salvation. And he could punish us, but I believe he first offers us grace and mercy to encourage us to make the right choices. If we look at a simplification of the words grace and mercy, grace is when God is nice to us. Mercy is when we should have been in trouble and he saves us from that trouble. He gives us a way out of that trouble. That's a simplification. But God's goal for us is always salvation. God's goal is for us to make the right choices so that we can be in his presence. So we as fathers have to do something similar. We have to learn to love and also to give grace and mercy. And to have wisdom as to how to deal with our children. Because we know, having been children before, that when you're young, oftentimes you're rebellious. And so we have to learn how to navigate through those waters, which is a very difficult thing. Our kids want to become independent. It's kind of what we talked about last week, wasn't it? We want to become independent from God, which is why we don't depend on him, which is not a good thing. We should depend on God. But there's this thing inside of us, I can do it myself. Oh, I've heard that before. Mm. We have to learn to be dependent. Our kids have to learn to be dependent on the wisdom of their parents. And we have to make sure that what we're giving them is wisdom. And that's another reason we have to be very close to God, because what seems to be wisdom and what is wisdom might be two different things. So we have to be able to pour out grace and mercy. We have to show our kids that punishment is not the first thing on our mind. We have to learn to encourage our kids. Imagine how discouraged we would feel if God punished us every time for something we did wrong. We would be so discouraged. John 3.18, the one who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim. Look, this is more clear when we're talking about God, and I don't want to muddy up the waters, but there's the same concept that our kids have to believe that they have parents who have their best interest at heart. And when they believe that, 
then there will be better communication and then there will be better trust. Now, again, you know, I told you there are different ways sacrifice looks. There's different ways that that looks as well. What works with one child will not work with another child. With what will work with one father or one parent will not work with another one. So we have to be very careful when we are telling people what we think they should do. On the other hand, God has set up an order so that people with this color hair get the right to say things. Sort of like, I don't know if anybody's been in, in a prayer meeting with Maria, but we listen to Maria. You know, it's just, we just listen to her. You know, you, you just don't mess with Maria. In John 3, John 3, 14 and 15, and this, this is actually going back to the parsha in the Hebrew scriptures and numbers that we were reading for today as one of the things was about the serpents. So this is relating this, and Yeshua is saying, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, and that was for them to get a physical healing from the plague, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we, just as, you know, there's, there's such a strong requirement of faith. I mean, just imagine being in the desert and Moses putting this bronze serpent on a pole up in front of you, and he says, hey, you guys look at that, and you'll be healed. How many of us would say, I'm not looking at that on purpose? There's no way. There's no way that's from God. There, there are just times... We, we just can't rely on our own common sense. And really, we have to look at Yeshua and have faith and have humility because Yeshua is all about humility. And our kids have to have faith, again, in us. Well, how are they going to have faith? I'll tell you that we walk our talk. It's easy to talk. It's hard to do the walk. And they realize that we're not perfect, by the way. You, that's not a secret. So don't worry about being perfect. Just worry about doing the best you can. And that will be good. So when we look at Yeshua... And we think about how we're looking at someone, we're, we're lifting up someone, we're looking at Yeshua who humbled himself for us. So that's the example. Not only is there incredible sacrificial love and grace and mercy, but he humbled himself for us. And I don't know how many times, but every time I read this scripture, it just makes me 
understand the sacrifice of Yeshua, not just on the cross, but in Philippians 2, 6, where it says, who through ex though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. In other words, even though he was equal to God, he emptied himself of that, taking the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a humble man. He humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for this reason, God highly exalt him. You know, I, I think the only thing, I, there's really nothing I can think of that's close to what Yeshua did. But to try and use an analogy, if you have uh, uh, maybe the head of Amazon, uh, what's his name, Jeff Bezos, if he decided for three years to become a pauper on the streets of New York uh, and without any money, and he gave up his right to do anything. And, and he just was a beggar. You know, that, that's not even half of what Yeshua did. I, I mean, just I use that as an example just so we can get a sense of, of how, how much he humbled himself. Our humility is so important. And really, if we're going to define humility, I, I would like to define it very simply. I care more about doing things for you than I do for me. I care about more, more about your well-being than my well-being. Actually, it sounds like sacrificial love. But that's what it is. They're all intertwined. The humility, the sacrificial love. John 3.21, but whoever practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be made known that his deeds have been accomplished in God. So I already said to you that we are not perfect. You, I, none of us are perfect. But if we practice the truth, if we practice being in the light, if we make it our goal then our family will see that we are in the light. And, that's, and, and our strength, no doubt, is from God because without God, we cannot do these things. We've tried to get rid of our sins. We've tried to get rid of the things that, that are difficult for us. And, and, and well, we haven't been able to do it. And so we rely on God and we practice and we practice and we get better. And they see us get better. Humility is the strength needed by a father to raise godly children. And also to have a godly marriage. The scripture that I use for marriage whenever I talk to a couple about the, their relationship is Ephesians 5. It's really misunderstood by non-believers because the only thing non-believers know is that the wife needs to submit to the husband. 
that's something somehow that leaked out of the Bible and all the, you know, somehow that's something that everybody, no, yeah, just, you know, little girls, submit to your husband. He's the powerful, yeah. But the, the, the truth of the matter is that the husband has the more difficult job in Ephesians 5. It does talk about submitting by the wife, but can you imagine submitting to the husband who loves your, their wives, as it says in verse 25, as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Now, I can guarantee you that without Yeshua's sacrifice, you and I would not be holy. Now, the comparison is now that the head of the house has to love his wife and present her holy. So the first thing the husband says to me is, well, she's not holy. I get that. I get it. I understand. Just present her holy. That's your job because of your love. And it says, so, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the word, the word of God. Messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community not having stain or wrinkle. So you have to love your wives in such a way that presents them without stain or wrinkle. Do you remember last week we talked, and the, the week before, we talked about grumbling a bit and complaining? It doesn't fit into this scripture. <laughs> if we're going to present our wives without stain or wrinkle, it means if you don't have something good to say, be quiet. That's kind of the, the street version of the scripture. And then to make w matters worse, it says, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. What do you mean I have to have my wife is blameless? Do you know my wife? <laughs> Sorry, dear. Uh, so we have to understand that God is, has a, a very high bar for husbands. Let me just close with a couple thoughts. Wives, you have the opportunity to encourage your husbands and your fa the fathers of your children. And you, you have to find ways to encourage them. Because the world is not encouraging your husband. I can guarantee you that. Men who are not fathers here, 
I challenge you to find the kid in our, in our congregation and be a father to them. In fact, if you're part of our congregation and don't know the names of the kids who go to this congregation, then you haven't even taken step one. Granted, you could be like me and have a terrible memory, which means you have to keep asking the kids, what's your name? Keep wanting to call Hannah Naomi and Naomi Hannah and, you know, all those kinds of problems. But we have to adopt the kids. The kids have to know that not only they have parents who love them, that they have a congregation that loves them. Which means we have to supply a lot of grace and, and sacrificial love because some of our kids don't des deserve in the natural that smile that they want to get from us. I was thinking of Samuel and Cameron, Cameron just in the beginning of service charging back there. And I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to stay here. I'm sure it'll work out. Somebody will miss them. <laughs> and they won't be there the whole service. And they weren't. They, they, so whatever they were doing, which I'm sure was no good, whatever it was back there, it, it was, it's, all, it's all fine. And, and, you know, you just have to find ways to connect with our kids. If your children are already grown and have chosen, and, and, and they have chosen an ungodly path, don't lose hope. You know, as believers, we have faith. And faith is not looking at what is tangibly in front of us, but we are looking into the supernatural. And we have to see things from God's eyes. And we can't if we're just looking at the basic facts that are in front of us. Because those facts are really lies. It's the enemy's way of making us powerless. So we have to not lose hope. We have to pray. We have to forgive. And we have to learn how to connect with our older kids at, at a level that they'll respond. I don't know what that is. It looks different in every situation. I think I quoted this last week but I'm going to quote it again, and you'll probably hear it a few more times because it takes a while to get this in. This is a quote from Rabbi Jason Sobel, who is a young rabbi. What's he, about 45? I think, yeah. In, in the 45 to 47 category, probably. So that's really young, right? don't you think? Okay. And he said this. If all you ever do is attack someone's behavior, then you're never going to be able to set them free, to become who 
they really are. Accountability is not calling somebody out of their behavior. It is calling them up to their identity. Now, I, I'll close with one scripture. It's an interesting scripture, Deuteronomy 3.28. And if you look at the scriptures before verse 28, you will see that God has said to Moses, Moses was trying, you know, to say, hey, I know what you said, but can't I go to the promised land? And in the TLV, I believe the word that God uses is enough. <laughs> like, we're not talking about this again. Right after that, right after that verse, he says to Moses, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. Wow, what a way to get somebody when they're down. I am down, I'm out for the count, and you want me to encourage this guy when I'm feeling so lousy because I worked so hard for you all these years, walked around with these complainers and grumblers, and now I'm grumbling and complaining, right. Well, okay, I might be taking the word a little, I might be stretching it just a wee bit. But I'm just thinking, if I were Moses, what I would say. And, and so, but, but God was saying, look, you want him to be in, strong and encouraged because he's inheriting the land that you worked so hard for. Yeah, but I'm not going. I'm, I'm not. I understand. But he is. So do you want him to go with strength and the anointing uh, that I've placed on you? Or do you want him to go as somebody without power? I mean, that's the, the mindset, the thinking that has to go on. We have to learn how to encourage. It, it is key to parenting. I've not done a great job in that area. You don't have to say amen, by the way. Um, I know this is a weakness to really encourage. I mean, sometimes I do it well, and sometimes I don't. But I'm just saying that this has to be one of our goals for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, for, for Family Day. We have to learn how to encourage people. So I'd like the men in the room to stand, and I'd like to pray for you. Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King. Lord, we are men made in your image, but obviously we don't have your discipline and your wisdom and all the things we need to be men of God. But Lord, you have called us to head our families. You have called us to be the leaders in our congregation, in the leaders in our community, the leaders in our society, in our country. And I'm asking now, Father, that you would pour out your spirit. And Lord, you know what we need. 
Give each one of us what we need to be effective, effective in our relationships with our wives, effective with our children, effective in, 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 with our parents, effective what, whatever, however we are to, whatever we are to do, Lord, allow us to be effective. Let us decide this moment that we're giving this time to you, we're giving our lives to you, and we are asking you to make us sacrificial in, in who we are and what we do and will be recognized as such because we will be caring for others more than ourselves. So, Father, I pray for this kind of anointing on our men. Let us be leaders in the sense of Moses, who was the most humble of anybody on the earth at that time. Let us truly be humble as well and strong. Father, I thank you and praise you for this in the name of Yeshua. I ask for women to stand up, please. Men, you may sit down. I pray for the women in our congregation, Lord, not to be fooled by the by our society. Not to be fooled and in, and taken in by the words of of people. But that they would truly be amazing women to prop up our society, our families. Lord, we count on our women to nourish. We count on our women to give wisdom when, when men are lost. We count on our women to be help, helpmates in the goals, in the vision that you have placed. We count on our women, in some cases to work, in other cases to just raise children. But we count on our women to be spiritually wise and strong. And especially if men are out of balance to bring us back to where we belong. Father, I pray for the women to be strong and, and let God's word be in their hearts so deeply that nothing will push them to one side or the other but they will be filled with the power of your Spirit to successfully continue in the calling that you have placed on their lives. I pray this in the name of Yeshua. You may be seated. Father, I pray for all of us, Lord. Give us sacrificial love. 
Give us mercy and grace. Give us humility. Lord, I pray in the name of Yeshua.